Amen. We're going to go to Matthew 28. Got a lot of scripture to share with you today in regards to this topic we're going to talk about. We've been going through the Baptist distinctives. Uh, you know, everybody, you've heard about Baptist churches. You see them on, you know, every town has one or two or something like that. And, and yet we, we don't understand uh, what it really is, you know, and what's the difference. You know, I've had many people ask me, so what's the difference between a Baptist and this and, and so forth? And, well, if you've got a little bit of time, <laughs> we could sit down and explain that to you. But this series is really covering those differences and, and what, how the Baptist movement was actually born, how it came out of the, the pressure of centuries of, a, of a persecution and the doctrines that rose to the top because of that persecution that became the marks that marks a true Baptist church. Now, we know that we're not just uh, keen on just, just calling us a Baptist. We're Christians first. Uh, we're, we're scriptural. We're Bible believers. That's what it's about. But the reason why it's important to have a name upon your sign is, like I said, it's just like going to the supermarket and buying a can of soup. You want to know what's in the soup by the label. And the label should be honest to what is inside that can. And uh, when you have a name outside your church, that's why we're living in a day and age where, well, I'm just non-denominational. We have no name. We have no this. Well, my question is, what are you then? <laughs> you know, where's your label? So the first thing I will do is I'll look on the website and I'll look at their statement of faith and I'll just scour through that to find exactly what their beliefs are because I need to know what you are. Yeah. It's just not enough that you smile at me when I walk in the door. <laughs> you know, anybody can do that. But doctrine is what forms the, the, uh, the parameter of every local church. And that doctrine is vital to our existence and our per, per, what's the word I'm looking for? Perpetuity. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, as we go forward, because we want to be perpetual. We want to continue on and we want to uh, establish churches of like faith and doctrine as well. And so what I want to look at today is our second distinctive. Our first one was biblical authority. We've been kind of going through the acrostic of, uh, of uh, B-A-P-T-I-S-T. I'm, I'm spelling that right. And so, so the first one was the letter B. We looked at biblical authority. Yeah. That's why in our statement of faith, the Bible is always on number one. I told you about the time where I had that one fellow call me and was angry that we had the Bible marked as number one because God should be there or Jesus. Uh, but the only problem with that is if you don't have the Bible first, you don't really have a perspective of who Jesus or God is. We develop our view of God from the Bible. It didn't happen from your dream. It didn't happen from some encounter you had. It came from doctrine, from the Word of God. And if you've got a different view of God based on a dream or something you've gone through, I seriously don't, are not interested in what you have to say. I want to hear what thus saith the Lord says, amen. And so the word of God is number one for us, and that's what we hold very dear, and that's why we believe it's important to, to know that we've got a Bible that is pure. And that's why we do hold to the King James Bible here, not because it's just King James or in some kind of movement that is King James. My heart has been since day one, if there's a perfect Bible out there, that's the one I want. No matter what you call it, that's the one I want. And any preacher or father or anybody under the sun that has half of a brain in their head would say the same thing. If there is a Bible out there that is pure and, and right to the, to the text that God has given to us, that is the Bible I want for me and my family. Amen? 
it's interesting, I saw this one post out online, was it yesterday, a church that I know of put out a post in relation to the King James Bible and showing the, even in the ESV and the NIV and all the missing phrases, uh, the one phrase I think was redeemed by the blood was taken out of all these different versions except for the King James Bible because they're from different text line, amen, for the received text uh, based upon or, or in contrast to the Vaticanist, the one that was found in the Vatican, the one that was found in the monastery, uh, those, those texts that they included into their Bible translation process for the new modern English translations. And so one of the comments I read, because I like to see what people say about this, and the first comment is, well, I'm just going to rely upon my relationship with Jesus to show me from all the English versions what his word is. I'm sorry, that is absolutely terrible advice. Yeah. Folks, you have no perspective unless the Lord gives you his word. There is, you don't have extra biblical uh, revelation inside yourself. You have to trust in the words of the Lord. Thy, thy, wor the words of <laughs> thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What is a lamp? The word. What is a light? The word. Not your reasoning, not your ability, not even your relationship with God. It is the word of God. You need a relationship with the scriptures and you have to believe that what you have in your hand is thus saith the Lord and not like the devil in Genesis chapter 3, yea hath God said. Yeah. There's yeah. enough preachers out there that are saying yea hath God said. We need some preachers that are saying thus saith the Lord. Yeah. That's all the prophets of old have ever said is thus saith the Lord. They didn't even know sometimes what God was saying but they just said thus saith the Lord. Yeah. They didn't understand the, 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 the context of what God was telling them to tell the people. All they did was thus saith the Lord. Let me tell you, today as pastors, as preachers, why in the world are we not doing the same as an Elijah, uh, an Elisha, a David, or whoever the prophet is, we simply thus saith the Lord. Yeah. And if you're so spiritual that you can get above the word of God, my friend, get out of that pulpit. I don't want you anywhere near the people of God because you are a false teacher. You do not fall upon the word of God. You're following upon your own reason, your own intellect, which is faulty and sinful. Yeah. God help you. Amen. We need the word of God today. That's why we're holding to it. We, we are unashamedly holding to that. And I don't care who gets mad at us. We believe thus saith the Lord. And the Bible says, for without faith, it's impossible to please him. That means that you don't need intellect and MDs and DDs and all these things behind your name to be useful for God. You need faith to be useful for God. If you will just take God at his word, he says, now you're pleasing me. Amen. But I'll tell you something, we have, we've fallen into this higher criticism mentality that started back in the 1800s and we're just going off of that like somehow we're some evolved being that no longer needs God's word to guide us. Folks, we're not becoming more evolved, we're devolved, we're devil-volved, amen? Because we, we're, we're starting to think that we're better than we really are. We need to be more dependent upon what God says today than ever, ever before. And if the Apostle Paul had a sword... The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if it was sharp back there in the first century, you could be sure it's just as sharp today in the last days that we live in, in the age of apostasy, in a time where we need it more than ever. 
where men of God are standing up and trying to pretend like we don't have a Bible that they can trust. We need a Bible we can trust. We need a sword that is sharp. And my friend, we have just as sharp a sword as the Apostle Paul had it in his hand when he wrote that original manuscript, that original, original epistle to the churches. Amen? Amen? We have it today in our hand. And so if we don't believe that, your Christianity is in serious doubt, my friend. I'm sorry. You're not too useful for God until we get back to the very essence of what Christianity is, and that is a movement of people that is based upon the words of God. That's what it is. Your reasoning, your intellect has nothing to do with this. Like I said, you can be dumber than a doornail, and as long as you've got faith in the word of God, God can use you. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, I've got degrees, I've got a master's, but you know what, that doesn't please God. What please God is if I believe him, I can have a master's, I can have a degree, and all these things, and God just says, what's so great about that? You talk about masters, he's got the masters, he's got every doctorate of all doctorates. And you know what he requires of us? Faith. Faith. That's what we need today, amen? So we're getting back to the word of God. And so when we're talking about autonomy, the second distinctive here, I know I just re-preached last week's message, kind of. And so when we're talking about the distinctives of the Baptist church, we're talking about biblical distinctives. We're not talking about just something we made up. We're talking about doctrines that rose to the top because of the persecution and death that people faced in relation to truth. They had to take a stand, and they had to, they had to find out, why, why can't we just give in to this? And these doctrines rose to the top, and they began to become our distinctive as far, what, as far as what marks a good, solid Baptist church. Amen? And so the first thing I want you to look at is autonomy. If we're talking about the autonomy of the local church, it just simply means self-governing. This is important because we're living in a day and age where churches are not self-governing. They have bodies over them that are in different lands, different provinces, different cities that are making decisions for them. And the churches themselves do not have a relationship with the head, of, the head which is Christ, which is supposed to be giving you that direction within that local assembly. Uh, first off is this. We need to understand this. We do not believe in a universal church right now. Yeah. You know what that means? We're not all a part of a big church because a church is practical. The word church is the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. You have to be called out and assembled. I'm sorry, the universal church is not called out and assembled. They're spread out all over the place. There's no assembly going on there. Amen. You know who's assembling? You guys right here tonight. This is a local assembly. This is what a church is. Now, we know that there's 112 references to the word church in the New Testament. And of that, I believe it's 100 and some, 109, that refer specifically to local churches in cities that he was writing to. And then there's also other mentions of churches that talks about a church in the institutional sense. Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's kind of like saying, I love the family. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, the family is a word that's, that's relating to an, the institution of a family. I believe in the family. That doesn't mean we're all one family necessarily, 
But what it believes is that I'm standing upon this principle that I agree with this institution that God made, which is the family. And so when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he's talking about the institution of the church. He's not talking about the local sense because this is the thing. This church was born, this church will die. And God will raise up another church that will be born and another one that will die. Every church that's ever been born has died. Amen. Because it's a living organism. And the reason why they die is, is because they don't have the, the uh, I guess, constitution to continue on in the pure doctrine of the word of God. Somehow error creeps in and they begin to decline. Uh, what I don't get sometimes is why Christians want to join churches that are on that decline. You know, they've already made decisions that they're going downhill, my friend. Don't jump on that ship. It's like jumping on a ship that's going underneath the water. That's not a time to get a ticket and get on board. Amen. What you want to do is get a ticket on the ship that's just being launched out into the deep. That's what you want. You don't want a dying ship here. You don't want a dying church. You don't want a compromising church. You don't want a, an apostate church. You want to get involved in a new birth of a church that's holding to the perfect word of God and going forward by his grace. Amen. Folks, this is real stuff here. But you know, every church some, at some point is born and at some point dies. Now, I don't even like to think about that when it comes to Airdrie Baptist Church because we're just launching out to deep. We're just basically a new ship that's been pushed off the shore into the water, amen? I can't think about sinking just yet, <laughs> you know? I can't, I, I can't tell you that it wouldn't happen, folks, because if we don't hold to the Word of God, we start letting whatever, we, whatever happens into this church, it'll die pretty quick. You start bringing in the rock bands and the wickedness and the worldliness. I mean, God will leave this building and we're going to be going down, down underneath. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't need that. We got to continue in the word of God and stay true to the scriptures. And folks, a lot of that has to do with you. A lot of that has to do with you standing up and saying, Preacher, we believe what you're talking about here. Amen. And that's why you say amen in the service, by the way. You say, so be it, preacher. That's what we believe. And that causes the church to get together and say, you know what? We are of one mind. Not a bunch of people saying, well, I don't know if I believe this, preacher. Well, if you don't believe us, go find a church that you believe. Amen? Find out where they're at. You may be just sinking, but hey, uh, it's better that you find out where you're going. Amen? Get, get into a lifeboat and get onto a ship that's sailing the right way. But be careful. And so self-governing. So we know that the scripture is telling us that every local church, because we're not universal church, we are local church based. That means that every local church has to get to this point where we're governing ourselves. Yeah. Amen? Yes. We already have meetings. We choose our missionaries. We choose how much we're going to give our missionaries. When we chose $200 a month to every missionary family, you guys chose that in a vote. You are self-governing, yeah. you see. Now, not everything in the scripture is thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, give $200 a month. It's not in there. But do you know something? As we get our minds together as a local church, we, we, we get the same mind on what the Lord would have us to do with the money that he's given us. And so we, we work together on that. But the, it's within the parameters of this body. No church outside of here has anything to tell us what to do about anything. Even my home church, they can't come here and tell us what to do. We are a local uh, autonomous body. And that's how God planned it to be right from the beginning. Like I showed you the graphic of the, uh, uh, of the uh, trail of blood. You know, when you look at the denominational sense, it's a blue line running straight through. But we're not a blue line. We're little red dots. 
We're separate. Each one of us is a separate little body throughout the ages, from Jesus' time all the way to now. Uh, you're not connected to some, some denomination. And by the way, Baptist is not a denomination. Yeah. It, it's a label that reveals the doctrine that we believe. It's not a denomination. We don't have a denominational head. And I realize there's a denomination out there, the North, the North uh, Baptist uh, denomination, the Southern Baptist uh, Association and so forth. But folks, we don't get involved with that. And you know why? <laughs> exactly. If you go look at them, you can see exactly why we're not involved. Yeah. Because when you have a, an association or a denomination over top of these local churches, what happens is, Everybody finds a resting point at the same place. Everybody kind of, you know, when you have a, a big glass of water and it's wide, it, it's shallow but wide. Yeah. <laughs> but if you get a tall glass of water, you're narrow but deep. Yeah. You start going denominational and trying to bring everybody in the world underneath your, your denomination, you're having a very wide tray of water and you're very shallow. Because everybody falls down to the most lowest common denominator. Because you're not allowed to say, hey, I don't believe that you ought to believe that anymore. <laughs> oh, no, we're all the same around here. Folks, that's why every local church has to determine what they believe from the scriptures. Because we have to keep a tight boundary upon this local assembly as far as doctrine is concerned. And that's why, my friend, is what we believe in membership as well. Because membership is when people submit themselves to the doctrine of the church. Where it's not just a hodgepodge of, well, universal, everybody just flows on through. I remember I had this evangelism evangelist in Kenora as we were having tent meetings. He came to the tent meeting and he says, I'm an evangelist. I said, oh, what church do you come from? He says, oh, I don't belong to any church. I just flow through the body. <laughs> He's just a flowing through the body. <laughs> Well, what body are we talking about? He's just, uh, we're, I'm talking about the universal church. What you're really saying is you've got no accountability. Yeah. What you're saying is you don't have a local church where you can show me what you believe is doctrine. Yeah. You're just flowing around. <laughs> nobody, nobody clamping down on your bad behavior. Nobody telling you don't do that or don't go there. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be great? Everybody can just do what they want. <laughs> Amen. That's not the way God designed the local church. Yeah. Matthew 28, 18 says this. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hey. You know what that means, right? That means go ye. He's not talking to the 12. He's not talking to the apostles. He's talking to everybody. Ye, plural. Uh, at this particular time, there were 500 disciples that were gathered to hear the resurrected Christ before his ascension to give this commission to the church. He's saying, this is your mandate. Go ye, therefore. Teach all nations. And that word teach has a meaning to it of one particular truth, which is the gospel. Yeah. Then it says, and baptizing them. So we teach the gospel, and then we baptize those that receive the gospel. Amen. And it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The name is the authority. 
Now, I have no authority to baptize outside of my position that's been given me by this local church. I can't just leave this church and go out and say, I'm going to go baptize somebody in a bathtub somewhere. Baptism has to do with you people. It has to be a witness to you of this person's faith in Christ so that you can say, hey, he's one of us, and we accept him into our body. Amen? It's not just an individual universal ordinance that we just look at as some big hodgepodge thing. It is a local church thing that all of us look at, and when that person gets baptized, we say, you know what? They're submitting to the same Jesus we believe, same doctrine we hold to, and you know what? They are just like us. And you'll have people after that point kind of taking you in and say, hey, brother, you're one of us now. Amen. And it also is an entry into the membership of the church. You understand that, right? Because just like when you're saved, you are baptized into Jesus Christ, becoming a member of his body. When you get baptized in water, which is the physical expression, you're placed into the physical body down here as well. It's a picture. Amen. Sure, there's a universal body of Christ, but it has nothing to do with the local church here on earth. That's only future. It's called the glorious church. It's called when the rapture and the horn blows and we're all assembled together for that, that one time where the whole, all the churches will gather together before the throne of God and will stand there before Christ. Then, my friend, we'll be a called out assembly. That's the glorious church. Amen. But until then, he says, there's no way you can maintain the boundary of pure doctrine as far as the whole world is concerned. By the way, that's what the Catholic Church is. The word Catholic means universal. They're trying to maintain that through the Pope that all the churches have to be submissive underneath his leadership. And that's called the universal church. And that's why many Protestant movements, whether it be Mennonite, whether it be uh, Lutheran, um, what are some other ones? Uh, they, 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 will, they will believe in this universal church system because it's baggage that they've taken from the Catholic church. The Reformation, they wanted to reform that which was already corrupt. You don't reform that. That's not reformable. They should have broken off and they should have made their little red bubble and they should have stayed in that and preached the fire out of it. Amen. Yep. That's what they should have done. But they were trying to create another denomination, another line as such. And that's what you have today. You have the Lutherans. And the Lutherans, what are they doing? They're doing the same thing that the Catholics did now. They believe in a work salvation. What, what good is that? What did Martin Luther do when he put that thesis on the door and said, I believe it's by faith alone? Yeah. But it's amazing. Hey, Menno Simons broke off from the Catholic Church. And he did that because he believed in salvation by grace through faith alone. But you know what? I know so many Mennonite movements where I come from that believe in a works-based salvation and they believe that their, their baptism is actually getting them into heaven. And the baptism is a pouring of water on their head or a sprinkling. It's not even what the word baptism means, an immersion into. Yeah. Amen? The picture's not even right. Now, I love these people, but man, it's baggage from the Catholic Church is what it is. That's because they didn't break off and say, let's just go be a red bubble. <laughs> let's just go be a local church with our own little boundaries where we can just go forward and be birthed into something that God can use. God uses local churches. That's what he does. He doesn't use the universal church. <laughs> How can a universal church discipline its members? <laughs> Who's responsible for this universal church? Which pastor? Because I sure wouldn't want to be the one. Amen? 
But do you know the Bible says I'm responsible for this local church here today? That I'll answer the Lord and I'll give an account of our members to the Lord? Whether I'll do it with joy or with grief? You know? How can I do that with a universal system where people I don't even know? No, no, the local church is intimate. It's personal. You know everybody in it. You know your pastor. You know the people. That's what church is, my friend. Amen? That's something I want to teach, and I want you to believe it, because that is Baptist doctrine right there. All right? The New Testament local church should be a self-governing body of believers consisting of saved, scripturally baptized members meeting together for the purpose of fulfilling Christ's commission. That's what a local New Testament church is. We are here to fulfill a commission. And the moment we say, I'm not doing that anymore, I don't care about winning souls. I don't get, we, you know what? We've lost our authority. We should not be baptizing anymore. We got no right. It's like our boss told us what to do and we decided not to do it. What would happen if that would happen in your job site? You get fired. Amen. And you know what the Lord does? He does fire churches. He says, I'll remove your candlestick unless you repent. He says, I know your works. <laughs> right? That candlestick is the, is the platform that he's ele elevated us to. You know, we've got a platform that is developed here in Airdrie Baptist Church that people are beginning to see, a platform that light has been put upon, and he raises that up so that we can have an influence over people. And as we grow and as we stay pure to the word of God, he raises us up even further so our platform expands. But the moment we say, I'm not going to do what God's asked me to do, he starts taking away the candlestick. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> Amen. You got no right baptizing anybody. That's why when you come here and you say, well, I've been baptized. I'm saying, where'd you get baptized? I remember I had one lady tell me, and my dad baptized me in the backyard. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. Yeah. Well, I got baptized in a church that believes you can lose your salvation. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That you got to have a pure gospel. If you believe in a, that you can lose your salvation, my friend, you have already perverted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why in the world would I accept your authority of baptism? Amen? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Of course, that one baptism isn't talking about water. It's talking about the one time you're placed into the Lord Jesus Christ. That can only happen one time. No repeat. Amen? You can't come back and redo it. You can't lose it. But I'll tell you something, the reason why you're placed into Christ one time is because of the faith that you believed. And the faith that you believed identified you with the Lord that you trusted in. And when we baptize physically here in water, you know what it's doing? It's expressing the faith that you believe. And not only that, it's revealing the Jesus that you hold to. Yeah. That's why when the people see you getting baptized in this church, they're saying, hey, you believe the Jesus that we believe in. You believe the doctrine that we believe in. You understand that? Now, sometimes we accept baptisms of churches of like faith. Like faith means exactly what we are. And we'll accept that based on fellowship, based on what we know about their statement of faith. But folks, sometimes people have to be rebaptized. And by the way, that's what we started as rebaptizers. Yep. Anabaptists, rebaptizers. Because we knew what happened when people perverted the gospel and perverted the doctrine. We says, you need to identify again. If you want to be successful in the Christian life and going forward, you need to re-identify. Acts chapter 19, the disciples of John were baptized once already. Paul said, you need to be baptized again. 
They got baptized twice. You read it in Acts chapter 19. Well, I know where I come from, in the background I come from, they believe that's some kind of blasphemy to the Holy Spirit. Because they take that verse in Ephesians 4 verse 5, one baptism, as meaning you can only be baptized in water one time. And many times that baptism is only pouring or sprinkling, which isn't baptism at all. So these people are now under threat of losing their salvation from the leadership, and now they can't get rebaptized to identify with the proper doctrine based upon the fear of their leaders and fear of them telling them, I'm going to go to hell because I'm blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is heresy. But the fear that people are being held over, and folks, that, that goes right down through the Catholic system, right down to the beginning. They held them by fear. Right to the end, right down to the last rites, and right down the family to the purgatory. It's not good enough we hold you in fear to the last rites. We're going to hold your family in fear while you're in purgatory. And we're going to get every last dollar out of them. You say, well, that's going too far. My friend, you don't know history that well. There was a reason that there was a dark ages. <laughs> where they were not encouraged to read the word of God. Where they, were, where, they were, where they were found with a Bible, they would be punished. Because you're not spiritual enough to know the Bible. You need to have leaders above you that teach you what the Bible says. And you know what? They wouldn't teach them the Bible. They'd teach them what they wanted them to know. And I know this is not popular. And I'm not trying to get anybody mad at me. But I'll tell you something. If we stop teaching this stuff, you know what you're going to think? Your children will think, oh, the Catholic Church, the system is just like ours. Isn't that what everybody says? I've had people come in here that believe in a total different doctrine. Oh, we're just like you. I said, oh, really? <laughs> I sure hope our people aren't that gullible. You're not just like us. But everybody likes to say that. We're just like you. That means we must be doing something right if they're not scared to identify with us. You know, we're just like you. Well, you better prove that. Put your money where your mouth is, my friend. Because I'll tell you something. You want to be just like us, it's going to cost you something. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Many Baptists were put to death because of their conviction for each church to be independent rather than, than under denominational head. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't uh, John Bunyan, the, the, he, he was a part of the Church of England. Now the Church of England was, was, was created by the king himself because he wanted an alternative to the Roman Catholic Church because he didn't like the Roman Catholic Church. But John Bunyan... Is it John? I keep messing up. One preacher one time, he went up and said, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> no, it's not Paul, it's John. <laughs> John Bunyan, he wanted to preach the word of God. God had got a, written, got a hold of his heart and he wanted to tell the people the gospel. And so he did it because he was called of God. And he knew he was called of God. But the Church of England put him in prison because he, they wouldn't give him a license to preach. And you know what? He didn't even want a license. And in fact, if they would have given him one, he wouldn't have taken it. We don't need a license to preach. So 12 years he spent in prison, and during that time he wrote what's called the Pilgrim's Progress. That's why it's a good book to read. His daughter was blind. She would come to, come to the jail, and she would beg her dad to come home because all it would take was him to make a decision, I'll stop preaching. 12 years he held until yes. he was released. Yay. Wow. He says, there's no denominational power that's going to control the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah. You understand that? And that's exactly what happens under denominational leadership. I'd get in trouble big time. I really would. 
So number two, about church autonomy, government in the church, who, who would have thought that it's exciting to talk about autonomy? <laughs> government is necessary in the local church. Now, I've heard people say, I hate organized religion. I said, so you want disorganized religion? <laughs> so you want to be unorganized? So you think that God is for unorganized churches? Well, I wonder about that with 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, that says, let all things be done decently and in order. Yeah, I'm sorry, this, this craziness that's going on in churches today where everybody is just doing their own thing, that's not of the Lord. No, churches ought to be done decently and in order. That's the way it ought to be. Deuteronomy 12, 8, it says, You shall not do after all those things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Can you imagine? We have this unorganized system and everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. There's got to be a structure. There's got to be order to the church. Amen. We have a God of order. Look at his creation. The youth are, are going through a video series now and, and some doctrine on, on creation. Do you understand? If the planets would be just a slightly different degree and a slightly different uh, distance from where we are, we would die? Yeah. That all these planets were put exactly in the right place? Not, not for people to live there, but just so that this little dot of an earth compared to these other great bodies, that this little dot of an earth, that the people on there, he wanted them to live? Yeah. Order. The cosmos is, is in order. It's funny how the creation of God is supposed to be in order, but the church is supposed to be chaos. I don't believe it for a second. Government within the church, and when I meant government, I'm talking about governing. I'm talking about overseeing. I'm talking about making sure that ministries run smoothly and according to scripture and things like that, according to doctrine. Government within the church keeps the church from confusion and anarchy. You know how many times I have to tell somebody you can't run that or, you know, when they're kind of looking for a position and you've got to kind of put the, put the reins on them a little bit? That happens all the time. People want to run things. They want to be in charge of something. They don't realize the responsibility of it. See, what will happen is they will take control of that. Then within a short time, they'll blow it sky high. Then I got to pick up the pieces. So that's why I catch it before it happens. When I see somebody that's not right with God in their heart, I kind of say, no, you, I don't think you're ready for that. Yeah. I put the reins, well, you're just a dictator. Well, you call it what you want. We're going to run this thing orderly because I'm protecting the people from being hurt. Yes. And there's been several times I've had to say, well, let's just wait on that minute. Well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I realize the cost of starting something. Folks, if I start something in the church, I don't do it so we do it for a month. I do it till Jesus comes. And that's why when you start a church, you don't just start everything in the bus ministry and everything. No, what you do is as you have needs, you start the ministries of the church because you want to have longevity. You want to continue on with them. Yep. Amen. Yeah. But people don't understand that. I want to do this and I want to do that. Can you imagine the, the crazy confusion that would happen if there's not someone to say, let's wait on that? But they go home and that preacher, he just wanted to control everything. I've had emails sent to me. Oh yeah, he just lets his family run anything. We started this church. All I had was my family. My children since day number one have been the ones to set up these, these hymn books and get this church set up every week. There was a time we had a trailer in the middle of winter. They had to take the piano out of the trailer and push it up to a second story so we could have church. 
And then these people have the gall to write a letter and say that the family is running the church. I never saw you one time offering to help. You want the glory. You don't want the sacrifice. Yeah, amen. amen. You sacrifice for something. Maybe the Lord will see your sacrifice and say, hey, I think I could put you on a platform where people could see Christ in you and God could use you in a greater way. But I'll tell you, until you sacrifice, why would God lift you up? Why would he put you on a place where God could use you to reach this world? You first got to die to yourself. Number one is this. Don't ever just desire to lead. Seek not to be many masters. If you're ever asked to do something, it ought to be an awesome thing. You ought to say, preacher, I'm just not, I'm not worthy to do this. Yeah. And you let them convince you. You say, well, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you need to do this. We need humble men in the church. Yeah. Humble women that are willing to do the will of God, but to do it reservedly because they know of the awesome responsibility and the accountability before this God. But you know, not, not like a lot of people, they just come out, I'm going to do this, I want to do that. And then if you don't let them do it, they go and criticize the preacher. I'm sure glad I didn't give you that position because you surely don't deserve it. You understand that? Okay, let's not organize a church. You get what I'm saying? If I could show you just a quarter of what's in my mind about local church ministry, you'd say, preacher, don't ever leave that place. <laughs> you know, Don't ever just give in and say, yes, yes. The reason why we've lasted even five years thus far is because we've had to put brakes on things. We've had to slow down the progress of some of these things so that the people could catch up. Amen. We don't just, uh, there's some churches I hear, as soon as someone comes to church and make them a Sunday school teacher, I don't do that. <laughs> we got policy. You got to be a certain kind of person to be a Sunday school teacher. Amen. You got to be a light to this church. You got to be somebody that's there and going to stand for truth. Yeah. You got to have the right answers when that little child comes to you and says, what about this teacher? Yeah. I'm not interested in having a teacher that's going to give some bad doctrine. Amen. <laughs> so I need to know you're thinking right. You're believing right. You got a heart after God and you love your church. There ought never be a Sunday school teacher that doesn't love his church. Yeah, man. So don't even bother asking if you don't love your church. I say continue coming, sit in the pew, get, get a hold of God, you know? But be careful about seeking to be many masters. Amen. It's an awesome responsibility. It's not it's not glory. Amen. Maybe you look at the preacher and he's preaching. Everybody's saying amen to the preacher. Well, that sounds good. Well, I'll tell you, that's one hour of the week. <laughs> I enjoy this too. Amen. <laughs> Nobody's giving me a hard time right now. <laughs> but I'll tell you, there's times I'm breaking down crying on the floor over the wickedness that I see sometimes and the disobedience in God's people. It's no easy thing. Don't you just be jumping into stuff like that. You got to learn to take some hits and you're going to get hit. Even as a Sunday school teacher, you get hit. Anytime you're lifted up on a platform, you'll get hit because the devil wants you down. Amen? Amen? Let's be careful, but that's why we need to organize. That's why we need to be in order. Amen? Amen. It cannot be chaos. Sorry. <laughs> it's just not going to happen around here. You can write all the emails you want. It's not going to change a thing. The church is ultimately under Christ's headship. 
We know that in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That means in this church, Christ has a preeminence. He is the one we lift up. He is the one we want to honor and glorify. We're not honoring ourselves. You come to me and you want to to brag about all the things you've done. I'm saying, sorry, you better take a back seat here. There's only one person we brag about in this church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if somebody comes up and you say, hey, I appreciate the work you do. You know what you need to do? Thank you very much and praise God for it. The Bible says, let another man's lips praise thee. If other people are praising you, praise God to say thank you. That makes you feel good. It's good to have a pat on the back every now and then, but you better transfer that pat on the back upwards real quick like. Because he's the one that gets the preeminence around here, amen? We're not putting our name in lights. I don't care if you remember my name a day after I'm dead. All I know is while I'm here, we got to keep Christ first. He is preeminent, amen? He is the head of this church. We want his will in this church. That's our desire. Uh, Letter C, a recurring problem is when men seek to be the head of the church rather than a servant to the church. It's not about a position where you're going to be served, my friend. (laughs) Something I've learned about pastoring, you're going to be the hardest working one. You're the one that's going to scrub the toilet. You're the one that's going to sweep the floor. You're going to be the one that's vacuuming. And maybe a little bit down the line, somebody will say, hey, preacher, can I have that vacuum? I'll do that instead. I'll say, well, okay, but you better continue to do it then. I don't want to come here next week and have it sitting against a wall and nobody vacuuming. If that's the case, then I'm going to continue to do it because I've got it committed in my heart that I'm going to do this till Jesus comes. So if you find somebody that's willing to have that same heart and say, I'll do this till Jesus comes, then you hand over the vacuum. You understand that? But not that this person has got this bright idea one week and wants everybody to see him vacuuming the floor. Because there's times where people won't see that. You'll be the only one in the room and you'll be vacuuming and nobody knows what you did except for him. Amen? That's what we want around here. I always say, if you're going to do something for the Lord, you better have one qualifier on that. The only thing is, preacher, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it till Jesus comes. Not till next week, not till next year. I'll do this for two years. I'll give it a try, preacher. Nope. How about till Jesus comes? That's the answer. Amen? That'll keep you right. (laughs) That'll at least make you think twice before you just hightail it out of here because you made a commitment to the Lord. Amen? And that, by the way, that's why you don't let everybody into every ministry off the bat because you don't even know if they're going to stick with it. You don't want people being forsaken. By the way, that's what happens when you leave a local church. You're forsaking them. Now, they make it seem like it's your fault. Well, you never see that in Scripture. You know what you see in Scripture? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Those people that leave, they want to make it sound like they've got a good reason to leave, but it really comes down to this. You're the one forsaking the assembling. That's how the Lord will see it. Oh, you don't understand. They didn't cater to my, my needs. The Lord says, oh, like when I carried the cross for you, when I suffered in your place, yeah, they didn't cater much to my needs either. But for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. Sorry, those arguments are going to fall pretty short at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? And I think you'll know that the moment you look in Jesus' eyes. <laughs> Whatever argument list you'll have, they'll just kind of dissipate and you say, Guilty! <laughs> I was stupid! That's what will happen. Amen? 
But what happens is you do have people that want that position. The drive of men to excel in power, to excel in prestige, has infiltrated the church. In fact, that's what happened in the Roman church in the first and second century when they were approached uh, by the Roman Empire. And they were given a place within the Roman government to, uh, which actually became the place of the Pope. The first preacher that Constantine uh, approached about that position rejected it says, I'm not going to do that. But he had an assistant pastor with him that when that first pastor died, he came right back. I'll take it. And that's when the Roman, the, the Roman church, the good Roman church that the Apostle Paul was talking about there in the book of Romans, compromised. That's what happened. Wow. That's how, that's how it goes. You know, that's why we believe in separation of church and state. There ought never be a preacher within governmental power. Should never have the power to, to, uh, to, to bring punitive judgment on people because they don't believe what you believe. We believe in individual soul liberty. Each one of us has to choose for themselves what you believe. Now, to be sure, when you're here in this place, you have to submit to the doctrine of this church. But you have every freedom to leave. We're not going to punish you if you leave and, and because this isn't your doctrine. But you won't be a member before that anyways because you wouldn't have been submitted to the doctrine. Amen? You can come. You can check it out. You can leave and find whatever doctrine you want to follow in your life. But just remember this. When it comes to the end, you'll be brought into judgment for what you believe. Amen? But it's your choice. Individual soul liberty. That's great. It takes a lot of pressure off of me that I don't have to go and chase after every person on this planet that's ever walked in the church door, <laughs> you know? You got to just accept or reject the doctrine we're preaching here, amen? And so this leader you see in, in 3 John, you see this man by the name of Diotrephes. In 3 John verse 9, he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them. That is a problem, why is that a problem? Because only Jesus has a preeminence in the church. He wanted everybody to think that he's the boss. I'm the one calling the shots around here. So what happened to this apostle John, the one that put his head upon the, the, the chest of Jesus Christ and, and was closest to him and Jesus called him my beloved? He receiveth us not. The apostle John wasn't even allowed in this church because he was jealous. He was jealous of, of the influence of the Apostle John. So he got all up on himself and wanted to have the preeminence and said, well, we're, you know, you're not, you know, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. So what did the Apostle John, he's an apostle, you got to remember that. He's got some authority here from heaven. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Anybody that challenges him, he's gone. You're gone. You're out of here. Now, I understand there's a scriptural mandate for dealing with people in the church and church discipline. He, the apostle Paul says, put that wicked one from, out from among you. But this guy, anytime that he felt threatened in his, in his inferiority complex, we don't want you here. You get out of here. I want the preeminence. Anything that threatened his preeminence, he dealt with it by getting him out of there. 
So you can, you can handle that pretty quickly by just saying, I don't care if people think they're greater than me. <laughs> I don't care if you're smarter than me. I don't care if you're a better prayer than me. I don't care if you're a better soul owner than me. It really shouldn't bother me because all I know is God called me to pastor the church and I need to do this for his sake because I will meet him one day and that's everything that I've got to have in my mind as a pastor of this church. Amen? It's not about people you know, bowing down and worshiping and, you know, my goodness, man. Diotrephes was a messed up individual. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So this leader, there's question whether he was actually saved or not. But somehow he got to that position. He was a Diotrephes within that position. And you know what? You see that all over the place today in churches. Preachers like to have that preeminence. Their name, boy, I tell you, it's on the television. You don't know, you know the name of the church, but you know the name of the preacher. I'd much rather have them know the name of this church. And they can, they can, they can say my name like they would on the telemarketer. Hey, Mr. Fryson. <laughs> you guys know the telemarketers? Did they say your name right when they call you? No. What do they call you, brother? Risk. <laughs> You're such a risk. <laughs> it's risky. Come on, get it right. Fryson. <laughs> I don't care. You can call me Fryson. You can call me anything you want. You just better give Christ a preeminent in this body. And like I said, after I'm dead, you don't need, certainly do not put any honor in my name in this place. Christ and Him alone. Christ and Him alone. Let's lift up him. Having me up on any picture, any statue or whatever, I'm like you would. <laughs> you don't have enough stone in this world to make one life size. <laughs> you never move it around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your kids don't need to see me. They need to see Christ. And you know what? If they need to see me, they need to see me now while I'm living and breathing. While I'm walking and talking. And that's the example that they should be following. And hopefully I'll set that example for them. Amen. But after I'm dead and gone, somebody else has to step up. And it's your responsibility to lift up Christ. Amen. So there's abuses that have taken place. Now we're at 7 o'clock right now. There's a lot to say about this stuff. You know, there, there's four main uh, different governmental systems that, that churches operate with today. I'll just quickly go over this. First one is the papal system. This is the Roman Catholic Church. In this system, the Pope is given final authority over the whole denomination. I'll read you a quote from the definition given in the First Vatican Council in July 18, 1870. The Roman pontiff, when he speaks ex cathedra, that is to say when discharging the functions of pastor and doctor, teacher of all Christians, by virtue of his, his supreme apostolic authority, he defines a doctrine regarding faith and morals to be held by the universal church. He fully enjoys by the divine assistance promised to him in the blessed Peter, the same infallibility with which our divine redeemer intended his church should be endowed for defining doctrine concerning faith and morals and consequently such definitions of the Roman pontiff are of themselves irreformable. That is their work. That is their definition. 
There's a lot there that we need to understand. Ex-cathedra. That means they are allowed to define what faith is to you. That's why they started worshiping Mary. That's why they started praying to the saints. They're praying to dead people. That's heretical, according to Scripture. But that's because a pope spoke ex-cathedra. Now they believe that, that Mary was also born perfect. They believe she's a co-redemptress, that you can't get saved without the Virgin Mary. It, it's heresy, but it's because a pope said it, and it's irreformable, which means that once they say it, they got to hold on. So now they're just stacking up doctrines. Purgatory. Purgatory is something that was based on a pope adding something after death to somebody. Infant baptism, pedobaptism, uh, you know, um, confessing your sins to a priest. All these things. Doing, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When you do some, doing penance. Say five Hail Marys and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, in the old times, they would make them crawl up the stairs on their knees on, on stone. And every time, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. <laughs> that was their penance for their sin. That wasn't because the scripture said so. That was because the Pope said so. You understand that? That's called papal authority. That's not scriptural authority. But that is what's happening today, my friend. Now, I realize they, they're having a problem these days because even though they've been given land like they're their own country, they have no governmental authority anymore to enforce their doctrines, which is the best thing that ever happened. But you know, until just recently, the, you know, a few hundred years ago, that if you didn't follow what they said, they could have you killed. They could have you put into jail. There are millions of Christians that have died at the stake, burned to death, because they would not believe what the Pope added to the doctrine. Amen? And just because they don't do that anymore, because they don't have the authority to do it, I've never heard a story yet. I've never heard them say, this is what we did, we repent of that, we, 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 you know, we renounce that, not once. Which means it's still there. It's still there. I just wonder what will happen when the Antichrist gives them power. This position is derived from the misuse of Scripture. Notice what they said after the, uh, what does it say here again? That he fully enjoys by the divine assistance promised to him in the blessed Peter. Peter? Because Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, of which no man could enter but only through Peter's authority. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 19, And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, thou shalt be loosed in heaven. So now that's why you always hear the, the scenario, uh, what would happen if you go to heaven and you meet, met St. Peter at the gates, and he'd ask, why should I let you in here? Because they, he's got the key, you see. That means if you don't agree with Peter, you've got some problems here. Well, my friend, that's not what it's talking about. The keys that Peter was given was the keys to unlock the gospel to the different groups of people on earth. That's why Peter was there on the day of Pentecost as he preached the gospel to the Jews. That's why Peter was there in Acts 19 when, he when they preached the gospel to the Samaritans and he laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. That's why Peter was there in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Two chapters were given to that account as to Cornelius, 
the Gentile, how he went to his house, and while he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them, and he said to the Jews that were with him, who shall you know, hinder them from being baptized you know, after the same manner and so forth? And they all said, well, I guess they received the Holy Ghost just like we did. Peter was there to unlock each door. And what was bound on earth was bound in heaven. Amen. Had nothing to do about people going to heaven or not. The only thing that sends you to heaven or sends you to hell is what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There's no Peter standing at the gate with a key. No St. Peter's gate. And when they say St. Peter's gate, that's what they're saying. This gate's going to keep you in hell. Well, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail. Amen. That's exactly what that is. They believe that Peter was given the authority to be head of the church. And this is all stuff that's born from their doctrine. So that's why they get their divine uh, authority from Peter. Well, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So they build their doctrine upon the fact that they believe that Jesus is saying, Peter, you are the rock that I'm building the church upon. That's not what he's saying. He's referring back to his statement. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying, this is what I'm building my church upon. The statement that you just made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the foundation of the local church. He's not the rock. In fact, the word Peter, uh, I'm trying to remember what the Greek word is. It doesn't really matter. But it just means a smaller detached stone. It doesn't even mean rock. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that Jesus Christ is the spiritual rock. He is the rock. So he's not saying, Peter, upon this rock, upon you, I'm building the church. He's saying, upon this rock. I'm building the church. Amen? But it's upon that misinterpretation of Scripture that somehow now they believe that Peter is the foundation of the church. Now, why is that important? Because they believe that, that the Pope is a succession of apostle. That there's succession of apostleship. Now, that's not a new thing because there's many churches today that believe there's apostles today. And my friend, I can give you a thousand reasons why, maybe not a thousand, I'm exaggerating. But you know what? I can give you many reasons why that's so dangerous. There is no apostles today. That was a one-time office. That, that door is closed. That office is shut down. The purpose of their apostleship was finished in the first century when the word of God was completed. Amen? What is the succession of apostleship? Well, you remember when, when Peter thought that they needed to replace Judas. They cast lots. Every time a, po a pope dies, they go and they cast lots for it. They try to keep on that tradition. Folks, Jesus didn't tell them to cast lots. I'm going to give you the, the, the qualifications of an apostle. The first one is this. An apostle had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. Every apostle witnessed 
the resurrected Christ. There's not one apostle, not one pope today after the first century that has witnessed the resurrected Christ. They do not qualify. Am I not an apostle, Paul says? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? He was caught up to the third heaven. He saw Jesus Christ. He qualifies as an apostle. He is the replacement. He was the twelfth. The apostles were chosen by Jesus. Every last one of them. Except for the one when they cast lots. We're going to take you two guys and we're going to see which one's better. Never did Jesus do that. Jesus just went, I'm picking you. I'm picking you. I'm picking you. He found Paul on the way to Damascus. Paul, I'm picking you. Ananias, you go tell him that he's a chosen vessel unto me. And tell him the things that he must suffer. Wow. Chosen. Chosen. Amen. Every apostle was chosen personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, the apostle's message was always accompanied by signs and wonders. Acts 2.43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You go to Matthew chapter 16, remember it says, with, with new tongues they'll speak unto thee. They will take up serpents and they will not die. Did you see this week how there was a pastor in the United States, you know, they have those snake handlers. They take that passage and say that every Christian can now handle snakes and you won't die. The problem is he got bit in church and he, was, he had so much faith. He says, oh, even though I'm bit, I will not die. Guess what? He died. What happens when you get bit by a snake? You die. Unless you're an apostle in the first century. Because when Peter was on that, or when Paul was on that trip, and they were shipwrecked, they got shipwrecked on that island, he went and put wood on the fire, and a serpent came out and bit his hand. And everybody thought, oh, this guy must be a terrible sinner, that God would send a serpent to bite him. But he shook it off and went about his business. Then they looked at him, oh, this guy must be a god, that he didn't die because the serpent bit him. That's man. (laughs) Extreme, 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 extreme. That's exactly what happened. Jesus Christ was authorizing the Apostle Paul in the eyes of others by many years before saying this is what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 16. You see a man get bit by a serpent and not dying? I'll tell you something. That's one of my messengers. You see them speak with tongues that you don't understand or that everybody can hear in their own language? That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Those are my apostles. You see them drink poison, they won't die like the Apostle John when they tried to kill him. When they tried to, you know, martyr him, they made him drink poison, he didn't die. So what they did is they dipped him in a, in a vat of oil, and then they sent him off to the Isle of Patmos, and that's where God gave him the book of Revelation. That's one of my men. See, signs and wonders are always preceded by Scripture. So somebody today that says, i got a sign and wonder, I'll say, Good, where's the Scripture to prove that? Well, look at the sign. The sign isn't enough. I need a scripture to prove your sign. Even Jesus had that. You read the book of John. It talked about how that he did these signs and wonders that he may be approved among you as the Messiah. He didn't just do it because, oh, wow, look, this is a wonderful thing. The apostles didn't do it just, wow, look at the power they got. 
They did it to authorize the message, the oral traditional message that they were given through Christ until it was written down in a book, until it was completed from the book of Revelation at the end. After that, no more need of signs and wonders. Now you just simply believe the word of God that's been given to you. It makes sense? The apostles had those three things. They had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. They were personally chosen of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their message was accompanied by signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now why did they do that? Because when they preached, they didn't have the scripture written yet. They didn't have it written as thus saith the Lord. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Amen? The apostles' doctrine was all tradition. It was all handed down. And by the way, when it talks about tradition that way, it's talking about what was handed down through the apostles. And that's a whole other thing we could talk about. Anyways, our time is done. Folks, we'll get to a little bit more of this next week. But I'll tell you something. This is important stuff. This is all what makes up the foundation of the local New Testament church. Amen? And if we don't understand it, we're going to walk in here and not even know what we are. I'm not a Baptist by, by choice. Just by, oh, this is the best thing I could find. Some people are like that. They go, oh, I'm a Baptist now, and tomorrow I'll be this, and tomorrow after that. I'm a Baptist by conviction. I believe what they've stood for. I believe in the doctrine that they died for. Amen? That's what's on my can. You want to read my, what's in my ingredients? That's exactly what it is.